Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our Course in Miracles daily reading conference call. We read from the text of the Course in Miracles original edition, which is published by our dear friends at the Course in Miracles Society. You can access an online copy of the original edition by going to jcim.net, or if you mouse the link at top for online edition, you'll see the link to read the Course in Miracles OE. On that same drop-down, there's an option to subscribe to have both the daily text reading and the lesson for the day sent to you from the Course in Miracles Society. My name is Lori Cameron. This call is Monday through Friday from 9.15 to sometimes around 10.55. And today we are continuing our reading of Chapter 20, The Promise of Resurrection, with Section 8, The Consistency of Means and End. We're also mindful of our lesson today, Lesson 231. The first idea behind our new thought uh, essay that we're conti- we'll continue to read for the next 10 days was salvation. First lesson after that, whoop, being Lesson 231, Father, I will but to remember you. And... To kick off this new idea, what is salvation? I just found the most lovely little poem in the book Susceptible to Light, poetry of Shailen Harkin, called I'm Yours. I'm Yours. God, this is another tattered heart prayer, and my work is to remember that you accept this kind of currency. I had closed myself off to you for so long, waiting to arrive in fashionable robes, parenthetically to impress you a bit, and wait to get rich enough to display handfuls of gold to you. Ha! I thought you'd like it better that way. Can we sit on the floor and laugh together about this now? (laughs) Of course you never wanted any of that, but just for me to grow into the honesty of my heart like sweetness into a plum and bring myself to you tangled but entire and say God in robes or rags I'm yours salvation is a thought that you would find your way to him at last Amen Amen. Thank you that was beautiful. Thank you, Lori. Oh, thank you, Lori. I thought it was a sweet little kickoff prayer. I'm glad you guys liked it. Okay, here's our reading list. We have Lee, Fran, Lemoyne, Yvonne, Patricia, Lana, and Robin Marie. And we're joined in listening this morning by Karen and Judy and Ida and Harrison. Has anyone else joined us that like to say good morning or be on the reading list? Good morning, it's Roz. Hi, Roz. And it's Micah. I'll read. Thank All you. righty. Thanks, Micah. Good morning. You betcha. All right. So, so we begin. Chapter 20, The Promise of the Resurrection with Section 8, The Consistency of Means and End. 58. We have said much, 
about discrepancies of means and end and how these must be brought in line before your holy relationship can bring you only joy. But we have also said the means to meet the Holy Spirit's call will come from the same capital source as does his purpose. Being so simple and direct, this course has nothing in it that is not consistent. The seeming inconsistencies or parts you find more difficult than others are merely indications of areas where means and end are still discrepant. And this produces great discomfort. This need not be. This course requires almost nothing of you. It is impossible to imagine one that asks so little or could offer more. Lee. Chapter 20, The Promise of the Resurrection, or The Promise of Resurrection. I like that. Section 8, The Consistency of Means and End. We have said much about discrepancies of means and end, and how these must be brought in line before your whole relationship can bring you only joy. But we've also said the means to meet the Holy Spirit's goal will come from the same capital source as does his purpose. Being so simple and direct, this course has nothing in it that is not consistent. The seeming inconsistencies or parts you find more difficult than others are merely indications of areas where means and end are still discrepant and this produces great discomfort this need not be this course requires almost nothing of you it is impossible to imagine one that asks so little or could offer more 59 the period of discomfort that follows the sudden change in a relationship from sin to holiness should now be almost over. To the extent you still experience it, you are refusing to, to leave the means to him who changed the purpose. You recognize you want the goal. Are you not also willing to accept the means? If you are not, let us admit that you are inconsistent. A purpose is attained by means. And if you want a purpose, you must be willing to want the means as well. How can one be sincere and say, I want this above all else, and yet I do not want to learn the means to get it? Thank you, Lee. And Fran. 59. The period of discomfort that follows the sudden change in a relationship from sin to holiness should now be almost over. To the extent you still experience it, you are refusing to leave the means to him who changed the purpose. You recognize you want the goal. Are you not willing to accept the means? If you are not, let us admit that you are inconsistent. A purpose is attained by means. And if you want a purpose, you must be willing to want the means as well. How can one be sincere and say, I want this above all else, and yet I do not want to learn the means to get it? 60. 
To obtain the goal, the Holy Spirit indeed asks little. He asks no more to give the means as well. The means are second to the goal. And when you hesitate, it is because the purpose frightens you and not the means. Remember this, for otherwise you will make the error of believing the means are difficult. Yet how can they be difficult if they are merely given you? They guarantee the goal and they are perfectly in line with it. Before we look at them a little closer, remember that if you think they are impossible, your warning of the purpose has been shaken. For if a goal is possible to reach, the means to do so must be possible as well. Thank you, Freya. And Lemoyne. To obtain the goal, the Holy Spirit indeed asks little. He asks no more to give the means as well. The means are second to the goal. And when you hesitate, it is because the purpose frightens you and not me. Remember this, for otherwise you will make the error of believing the means are difficult. Yet how can they be difficult if they are merely given you? They guarantee the goal and they are perfectly in line with it. Before we look at them a little closer, remember that if you think they are impossible, your wanting of the purpose has been shaken. For if a goal is possible to reach, the means to do so must be possible as well. <clears throat> it is impossible to see your brother as sinless and yet look upon him as body. Is this not perfectly consistent with the goal of holiness? For holiness is merely the result of letting the effects of sin be lifted, so what was always true is recognized. To see a sinless body is impossible, for holiness is positive and the body is merely neutral. <clears throat> it is not simple, but neither is it sinless. As nothing, which it is, the body cannot meaningfully be invested with the attributes of Christ or of the ego. Either must be an error, for both would place the attributes where they cannot be. And both must be undone for purposes of truth. Thank you, Lemoyne. And Devon. Thank you, Laurie. It is impossible to see your brother as sinless and yet to look upon him as a body. Is it not perfectly consistent with the goal of holiness? Now I'll go back to this. Is this not perfectly consistent with the goal of holiness? For holiness is merely the result of letting the effects of sin be lifted. So what was always true is recognized. To see a sinless body is impossible. For holiness is, is positive and the body is merely neutral. It is not sinful, but neither is it sinless. As nothing, which it is, the body cannot meaningfully be invested with attributes of Christ or of the ego. Either must be an error, 
for both would place the attributes where they cannot be, and both must be undone for purposes of truth. <clears throat> the body is the means by which the, the ego tries to make the unholy relationship seem real. The unholy instant is the time of body, but the purpose here is sin. It cannot be attained but in illusion, and so the illusion of a brother as a body is quite in keeping with the purpose of unholiness. Because of this consistency, the means remain on question while the end is cherished. Vision adapts to wish, for sight is always secondary to desire. And if you see the body, you have chosen judgment and not vision. For vision, like relationship, has no order. You either see or not. Thank you. Thank you, Yvonne. And Patricia. 62. The body is the means by which the ego tries to make the unholy relationship seem real. The unholy instant is the time of bodies. But the purpose here is sin. It cannot be attained but in illusion. And so the illusion of a brother as a body is quite in keeping with the purpose of unholiness. Because of this, because of this consistency, the means remain unquestioned while the end is cherished. Vision adapts to wish. For sight is always secondary to desire. If you see the body, you have chosen judgment and not vision. For vision, like relationships, has no order. You either see or not. 63. Who sees a brother's body has laid a judgment on him and sees him not. He does not really see him as sinful. He does not see him at all. In the darkness of sin, he is invisible. He can but be imagined in the darkness. And it is here that the illusions you hold about him are not held up to his reality. Here are illusions and reality kept separated. Here are illusions never brought to truth and always hidden 
from it. And here, here in darkness is your brother's reality imagined as a body. In unholy relationships with other bodies serving the cause of sin an instant before he dies. Thank you, Patricia. And Flanna. Okay. 63. Who sees a brother's body has laid a judgment on him and sees him not. He does not really see him as simple. He does not see him at all. In the darkness of sin, he is invisible. He can but be imagined in the darkness, and it is here that the illusions you hold about him are not held up to his reality. Here are illusions and reality kept separated. Here are illusions never brought to truth and always hidden from it. And here in darkness is your brother's reality imagined as a body in unholy relationship with other bodies serving the cause of sin an instant before he dies. 64. There is indeed a difference between this vain imagining and vision. The difference lies not in them but in their purpose. Both are but means, each one appropriate to the end for which it is employed. Neither can serve the purpose of the other, for each one is a choice of purpose employed on its behalf. Either is meaningless without the end for which it was intended, nor is it valued as a separate thing apart from the intention. The means seem real because the goal is valued. And judgment has no value unless the goal is sin. Thank you, Lana. And Robin Marie. Sixty-four. There is indeed a difference between this vain imagining and vision. The difference lies not in them, but in their purpose. Both are but means, each one appropriate to the end for which it is employed. Neither can serve the purpose of the other, for each one is a choice of purpose employed on its behalf. Either is meaningless without the end for which it was intended, nor is it valued as a separate thing apart from the intention. The means seem real because the goal is valued and the judgment has no value unless the goal is sin. 65. The body cannot be looked upon except through judgment. To see the body is a sign that you lack vision and have denied the means the Holy Spirit offers you to serve his purpose. 
how can a holy relationship achieve its purpose through the means of sin? Judgment you taught yourself. Vision is learned from him who would undo your teaching. His vision cannot see the body because it cannot look on sin, and thus it leads you to reality. Your holy brother, side of whom is your release, is no illusion. Attempt to see him not in darkness, for your imaginings about him will seem real there. You closed your eyes to shut him out. Such was your purpose, and while this purpose seems to have any meaning, the means for its attainment will be evaluated as worth the seeing, and so you will not see. Thank you, Robin Marie. Micah. Okay. Um, 65. The body cannot be looked upon except through judgment. To see the body is the sign that you lack vision and have denied the means the Holy Spirit offers you to serve his purpose. How can a holy relationship achieve its purpose through the means of sin? Judgment you taught yourself. Vision is learned from him who would undo your teaching. His vision cannot see the body because it cannot look on sin. And thus it leads you to reality. Your holy brother, sight of whom is your release, is no illusion. Attempt to see him not in darkness, for your imaginings about him will seem real there. You closed your eyes to shut him out. Such was your purpose. And while this purpose seems to have any meaning, the means for its attainment will be evaluated as worth the seeing, and so you will not see. 56. Your question should not be, how can I see my brother without the body? Ask only, do I really want to see him sinless? And as you ask, forget not what his sinlessness And as you ask, forget not that his sinlessness is your escape from fear. Salvation is the Holy Spirit's goal. The means is vision. But what the seeing look upon is sinless. No one who loves can judge. And what he sees is free of condemnation. And what he sees he did not make. For it was given him to see, as was the vision which made his seeing possible. Thank you, Micah. And uh, would there be a new reader for paragraph 66? This is Sandra. I can read. Thanks, Sandra. 66. Your question should not be, how can I see my brother without the body? Ask only, do I really wish to see him sinless? 
And as you ask, forget not that his sinlessness is your escape from fear. Salvation is the Holy Spirit's goal. The means is vision. For what the seeing look upon in sinless, sorry, for what the seeing look upon is sinless. No one who loves can judge and what he sees is free of condemnation. And what he sees he did not make, for it was given him to see, as was the vision which made his seeing possible. Thank you, Sandra. Uh, to summarize, then, this beautiful section, eight, the consistency of means and end. We've said much about discrepancies of means and end and how these must be brought in line before your holy relationship can bring you only joy. But we've also said the means to meet the Holy Spirit's call will come from the same source as does his purpose. This course is nothing, has nothing in it that is not consistent. The seeming inconsistencies or parts you find more difficult are merely indications of areas where means and end are still discrepant. This produces great discomfort. This course requires almost nothing of you. It is impossible to imagine one that asks so little or could offer more. From 59, to the extent that you still experience discomfort, you are refusing to leave the means to him who changed the purpose of your relationship. A purpose is attained by means, and if you want a purpose, you must be willing to want the means as well. How can one be sincere and say, I want this above all else, and yet I do not want to learn the means to get it? In 60, to obtain the goal, the Holy Spirit indeed asks little. He asks no more to give the means as well. The means are second to the goal. And when you hesitate, it is because the purpose frightens you and not the means. Remember this, for otherwise you will make the error of believing the means are difficult. Yet how can they be difficult if they are merely given you? 61. It is impossible to see your brother as sinless and yet look upon him as a body. For holiness is merely the result of letting the effects of sin be lifted so that what was always true is recognized. In 62, the illusion of a brother as a body is quite in keeping with the purpose of unholiness. And because of this consistency, the means remain unquestioned while the end is cherished. Vision adapts to wish, for sight is always secondary to desire. And if you see the body, you've chosen judgment and not vision. For vision, like relationships, has no order. You either see or not. In 63, who sees a brother's body has laid a judgment on him and sees him not. He does not really see him as sinful. He does not see him at all. Here are illusions and reality kept separate. And here in darkness is your brother's reality imagined as a body. In 64, there is indeed a difference between this vain imagining and vision. 
The difference lies not in them, but in their purpose. Let's see, down in 65. Judge what you taught yourself. Vision is learned from him who would undo your teaching. And thus it leads you to reality. Your holy brother, sight of whom is your release, is no illusion. 66. Your question then should not be, how can I see my brother without the body? Ask only, do I really wish to see him sinless? And as you ask, forget not that his sinlessness is your escape from fear. Salvation is the Holy Spirit's goal. The means is vision. For what the seeing look upon is sinless. No one who loves can judge. And what he sees is free of condemnation. And what he sees he did not make. For it was given him to see. As was the vision which made his seeing possible. What a beautiful, beautiful reading to begin with our new essay for the next 10 days on what is salvation. And um, for a number of reasons, um, I think it's really excellent if we stop right here and reflect both on what is salvation and our lesson today. So Fran, um, we appreciate your generosity. I'll turn it over to you. Thank you, Lori. Hi, everybody. We are in the second part of the workbook, and we are on the second theme. The theme is, What is Salvation? And our lesson for today is Lesson 231. Father, I will but to remember you. So I'll read some from What is Salvation? Salvation is a promise made by God that you would find your way to him at last. It cannot but be kept. It guarantees that time will have an end and all the thoughts that have been born in time will end as well. God's word is given every mind which thinks that it has separate thoughts and will replace these thoughts of conflict with the thought of peace. The thought of peace was given to God's son the instant that his mind had thought of war. There was no need for such a thought before for peace was given without opposite and merely was. But when the mind is split, there is a need of healing. Salvation is undoing in the sense that it does nothing. Failing to support the world of dreams and malice. Thus it lets illusions go. By not supporting them, it merely lets them quietly go down to dust. And what they hid is now revealed, an altar to the holy name of God, whereon his word is written. Let us come daily to this holy place and spend a while together. Here we share our final dream. It is a dream in which there is no sorrow, but it holds a hint of all the glory given us by God. Earth is being born again in new perception. Night has gone and we have come together in the light. From here, we give salvation to the world. For it is here salvation was received. The song of our rejoicing is the call to all the world that freedom is returned, that time is almost over, 
and God's son has but an instant more to wait until his father is remembered. Dreams are done. Eternity shined away the world, and only heaven now exists at all. Now we'll go to the lesson, lesson 231. Father, I will but to remember you. What can I seek for, Father, but your love? Perhaps I think I seek for something else, something I have called by many names. Yet is your love the only thing I seek or ever sought? For there is nothing else that I could ever really want to find. Let me remember you. What else could I desire but the truth about myself? This is your will, my brother, and you share this will with me and with the one as well who is our Father. To remember him is heaven. This we seek, and only this is what it will be given us to find. We'll take a moment and reflect on this. Lesson 231. Father, I will but to remember you. What can I seek for, Father, but your love? Lesson 231. Father, I will but to remember you. Amen. 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 That was so beautiful. Thank you, friend. It sure Thank was, you. friend. Thank you. Thank you, friend. Great introduction to what is salvation. Thanks, Fran. Thank you. This, by the way, is another of those places in the Course where he marries the whole idea of the memory of God with the memory of self. The memory of God and the memory of my identity. And that just springs up right at the end of the prayer where he says, let me remember you. What else could I desire? The truth about myself. It's almost as though they aren't two separate memories at all, but just the restoration of um, an awareness of the nature of my relationship with my creator in which... um, um, Whose, whose nature is what my identity is about. Um, I'm complete. Thank you, Lee. 
Thanks for that. Thanks, Nick. This is Micah. I was appreciating how the subtle uh, fluidity of thought that's required of us, you know, on this dance floor of awakening. And in this, these last two paragraphs are so beautiful in What is Salvation, uh, where he talks about the transformed world. I'll just read it again because it is so beautiful. Uh, Let us come daily to this holy place and spend a while together. Here we share our final dream. It, It is a dream in which there is no sorrow for it holds. Somebody has to go on mute. Thanks. It is a dream in which there is no sorrow for it holds a hint of all the glory given us by God. The gra- uh, somebody has to go on mute. Um, anyway, the grass is pushing through the soil. The trees are budding now, and birds have come to live in the branches. Earth is being born again in new perception. Night has gone and we have come together in the light. And then from here we give salvation to the world for it is here salvation was received. The song of our rejoicing is the call to all the world that freedom is returned, that time is almost over. And God's Son has but an instant more to wait until his Father is remembered. Dreams are done. Eternity has shined away the world, and only heaven now exists at all. And I, those last few lines, I, I, you know, I used to think of it more in terms of a, um, an ultimate, uh, like, an ultimate kind of end to, to this experience of of this very creative realm of. Form, and, and but now what I see is that it, it, it's more of this awareness of mind that's eternal, and it, it it's it goes on. It's infinitely creative. It will create other worlds. It will create other experiences, and it does it with consciousness. You know, making the um, illusion of form. And of you know, it's an amazing dimension of time and space, and it's not necessarily. Uh, it may it may end. This particular expression may end, but but uh, it, but it may also just continue to coexist as a, an expression of consciousness in this awareness of mind this mind that is joined in unity and wholeness with God, and it holds holographically, it holds this holographic creation within it. And um, and it's seen as heaven itself, because that mind is um, so holy and 
and it's all filled with light and love and uh sure it's like a like a mirage on a desert you know creates this dance but um that's its nature is to be playful and and creative and uh so anyway i don't i don't see it as um uh, you know necessarily this comes to some oh i don't know i'm trying to describe an end that is so final it's not it doesn't seem like it's going to be that way to me as as i've gone into these other uh, experiences of mine anyway i think i'm done thank thank you micah thank you micah thank you micah Thank you. Thank you, Micah. Micah, I especially love when you said Earth is being born again in new perception. That is beautiful statement. Thank you. Thank you, Micah. This is Patricia here for a minute. Micah, you remind me of another highlight in the reading, which was a, a pivotal moment for me to have my ego um, be able to recognize that that she's terrified that there won't be some resting end point, that there won't be some conclusion that then, okay, we did it. All right, we did that, and then we get to coast for eternity in this heavenly state we created or whatever it is. This idea that there will be some uh, uh, arrival of a conclusion. Uh, Terrified of that. And each time I was able to see where the means, uh, the, the real question was, you know, am I willing to see the innocence already here? No, I'm not, you know, would come up. No, I'm not willing to see that this could be continuing just as it is forever. No, no, this has got to stop eventually. So once I recognized that voice inside that was, disturbing really it was creating uh, interference I could turn that over to the to the silent devotion of that thing beyond the body that can see the new world that's here right now and I will confirm this and it's a good one once you walk through that fire of that fear that we're so afraid to see that other one perfect just the way they're acting is that once it's seen and I know now absolute this is a forever continuum this is a consistency that is one that if is it is to be repeated never ending forever and to the degree I can swallow this moment and this day saying and it will be this way forever that's the degree of heaven right here with me so the ability to accept this and let go of some arrival 
oh, it was a big one for me. And I love this reading for helping me relive the freedom that eternity gives us. That everything is eternal. So it has all the time in the world and it won't ever end. And night does end because even sleep, you're awake. It's a wonderful place to be awake in. Here, without leaving our bodies, night ends and the new world is inside everyone. Thank you. That's very Thank beautiful. You, Thank you, Patricia. Yeah. Thanks. Oh, thank you, Patricia. Thank you, Patricia. Hi, good morning everybody, it's Judy. I um, love the reading and I thank you, Fran, for doing the meditation for us today. Not for us, but with us. And uh, the idea of difficulty. How can I, um, knowing, knowing who I am, be difficult for me? <laughs> What's difficult about knowing that I am? <laughs> I am. I am experiencing all of God's creation through my senses, through my perception, and through knowing God as, as one and the same as all and in and through everything. This imminence, imminence, and transcendence of it, that it's all within me, but at the same time, I'm independent of everything that I see and that I'm not at its effect. I'm not eff- affected by it. I could choose to love it or hate it. That's, that's apparent, you know, that we make judgmental choices is apparent and, um, in this experience. But why would I do that, you know, when I, I've learned that judgment is... is is the cause of of my disturbing my own peace, which is a condition for knowing who and what and that I am. That I am the Son of God, the Christ consciousness, aware of everything as itself. The um the the idea of difficulty of knowing that is is it's um not seeing myself clearly and you know for a long time I was fascinated with the idea of clarity because I could hear it in other people sharing you know Lori and Lee and Micah and Harrison and and numbers of others on this call I mean I could list everybody I think at one point or another has has, um, expressed their own 
clarity of knowing that I am, that with a capital T, I am that I am. And, you know, what I've come to understand is that knowledge, not the way the Course defines it, that self-knowledge, that knowledge of myself with the capital S, that I am that, but um, knowledge, worldly knowledge, that that everything I've taught myself, that um, the world teaches us to name things as, as separate and different and having unequal value and being objects of my awareness instead of the awareness of everything as myself. So in looking through the eyes of the ego, I objectified everything in order for it to serve its own personal purposes. And, you know, the Course talks about that special, making things special. This is mine and it has special meaning. Or this person belongs to me. They're my husband, my sister, my father. And, you know, to own or claim anything in relationship, you know, that the text speaks of that, that, um, ownership is a dangerous concept to the ego because it claims what it can't claim. And, and understanding that God claims everything as his own is um, a true and pure perception of who, who and what I belong to. My complete dependence is upon God, my Father, for my creation and everything that entitles me to every bit of joy and happiness I've ever experienced. So this is a lovely reading today, and I'm not looking at it anymore, so I can't bring anything else up, but um, I just want to express my gratitude to, to Lori and Lee again today, and all my precious beloveds that um, share this one-mindedness goal to reveal the truth of ourselves to each other and to everyone else that we may come upon in peace and in love and in joy, wholehearted embrace of God's creation. I'm complete. Amen. Thanks, Judy. Thank you, Judy. Thank you, Judy. And here I go, jumping in. Sorry, uh, Lana. Didn't mean to jump on you. I just wanted to say this one thing about saying my sister or my father or my brother or I just want you to meet my friend. Like it's it's a way it's you can possess. You can say, oh, it's my sister. You can't have it. Or you can say, wow, I'd really like you to meet my sister. She is so wonderful. You know, so there's it's okay to say my it's how you say it, I think. Um, and that's what I had to share. Thanks, you guys. Thank you, Robin Marie. Thank you. I think you got my point exactly. Yeah, yeah thanks. That was lovely. Thank you. Anna? 
Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just hobbling back to my chair. <laughs> I was going to share in, in a minute. Just give me a second. Okay. Um, I um, It's very interesting. So often um, as I'm reading, uh, Jesus kind of interrupts my my reading and I know it's of Jesus or of spirit because it always adds clarity and um, certainty and brings me peace. So today, even before, uh, just as I was starting to read this morning, um, I was interrupted and, and he just said, um, remember everything of truth is whole and unified. So there can't possibly be a gap between means and end, giving and receiving, cause and effect. And there certainly isn't any gap between myself and God, my brothers and myself. And he said, just as God is incomplete without you, you are incomplete without your brothers. So, you know, he just brought that um, clarity to mind. And um, that little gap that seems to, that is really an imagined space, which I can fill with my ego's plan or means of attaining a goal, or I can allow God's goal, the holy goal and purpose and the means of getting there, I can just I can just step out of the way and allow it to unfold. Oops, hold on. I'm sorry, somebody's at my door. Just just give me a second. <laughs> I'm on the phone. Okay. Sorry about that. Um so um, I can fill that with all sorts of things. And and um, and he reminded me that's why the beginning um, can seem difficult or painful, especially when I give a relationship over to God with the goal of um, having it be experienced as holy. It's already holy, but, you know, all these imagined means that my ego wants to use um, makes it appear as unholy. So that's very threatening to the ego. And and so when I say, oh, I'm going to make this relationship holy, I give it to you, God. The ego, um, there's a disharmony um, within my mind that um, it's like ego is fighting for its life, you know. It, because it knows that if it abandons its means, it will lead to its demise, you know. So I'm always um, mindful of that. For whenever I give something to the Holy Spirit to make holy in my experience, the ego is going to pop up and say, oh, no, you don't. (laughs) 
this is the means by which we'll attain the goal, you know. And, and I lo- really love this, the clarity it gives about um, my brothers, you know, and not seeing them as bodies. Um, there's this wonderful line, I'll hold on a second, it's in paragraph 65, which whenever, and I, we were, I was talking about this yesterday in the after call, whenever I see a comment on Facebook or a post that says my brother does not exist, um, I, I insert or remind myself by reminding my brother that your holy brother, sight of whom is your relief, is no illusion. It, it's, um, it, the meaning of that to me is it's not that my brother does not exist or is not there. It reminds me that I'm just not seeing him. I'm only seeing his body. But beyond the body is his truth and my truth, and that's united as one truth in God. Um, and just because I don't experience that truth does not mean my brother does not exist. You know, we all are part of the friendship of God. It's all inclusive. Um, it leaves nothing or nobody out. You know, so uh, for me, this whole section um, is filled with, you know, reminders on how I um, approach uh, the whole idea of means and end and what it and what and um, the meaning that it has for me. Um, I just step aside and allow the means of God in accomplishing the purpose and the goal um, to unfold and not to bring to it any other means that you know, I might think, oh, this might work. I'm going to jump in and do that, or I'm going to jump in and do something else. I just leave it to God, you know, and stay out of the way. But I'm complete. Thank you for listening. That was really helpful. Thank you, Lana. Thank you, Thank Lana. you Lana. I loved every bit of that. Thank you, Lana. Oh, thank you guys so much. Have a little competition here today. <laughs> uh, so thank you all for listening. This is Micah, real quick. Hopefully, um, this this quote, Lana, during your share, came to my mind. It says, "Salvation does not ask that you behold the spirit and perceive the body; not it merely asks that this should be your choice. For you can see the body without help, but do not understand how to behold a world apart from it." It is your world salvation will undo and let you see another world your eyes could never find. And and to me, it ties in with paragraph 62 where she's saying, 
uh, he's talking about this vision. Um, and if you see the body, you have chosen judgment and not vision. For vision-like relationships has no order. You either see or not. And that, and it keeps taking me to that place of this vision of our of of, of, of the vision of our mind and the awareness that that lifts out of lifts out of body identification of time space and moves into the mind that that is the creator and the cause of all this and that's where the vision um uh, that's the this other world that we could never find <laughs> and uh, and and we're we're coming back home we're coming back to the self uh in a beautiful way let's see um uh, anyway, I, I'll stop right there. Thanks. Nice oh, right addendum. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Mike. Mike, I, yeah, Mike, I brought to mind the quote in the reading today, um, which I read actually as uh, it's in paragraph sixty-one. Um, I read it as sal- about salvation, and it says, "For holiness is." is merely the result of letting the effects of sin be lifted so what was always there is recognized isn't that a, I that just sang to my heart and so thank you Micah thank you Lana thank you Lana good morning this is Sandra Thanks, everybody, for your shares. Um, The means and the ends, the means for me is the lesson, Father, I will but remember you and remember how you see me, Father. You see me as innocent and as sinless. And so, Father, another lesson for me, I will but to remember my brother as sinless. However, (laughs) being a trauma survivor, I have had to learn how to forgive myself and to forgive the perpetrators. And at this point, um, I can see my brothers and sisters as innocent, but I, as as an act of self-love, need to remove myself from people that I don't think are safe for me. I can accept them and love them from a distance, but I still need to remove myself from the situation, So, which you may call withdraw. But where I'm at in my process is that um, it's an act of love, and it's what God wants for me. God does not want me to put myself in situations where I feel unsafe. And, and then if I feel unsafe, the only thing I can do is remember to go back to my creator and my relationship with my creator who sees me as completely whole and healthy and um, and sees my my creator sees me the people that that I sometimes withdraw from I don't believe see me they certainly don't see me as sinless <laughs> so that's just the way I'm working with it and I'm complete Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you, Sandra. 
I can relate to that. Thank you. Good morning. It's Mindy. Hi, everybody. Um, before I knew what the lesson was, I woke up, I fell asleep in my easy chair and slept almost all night, so I got up and started doing things. And for some reason, being up before the sun, I was looking at the things I was unhappy with in my life. And most of the things I was unhappy with were places where I'd let myself down. Um, sure, there were some certain conflicts or some requests to resolve with people where I felt I <sighs> suffered a loss when it should have been a gain. But what happened was I realized that I don't have a lot of self-love. And when I read this morning it's about accepting God's love and it's the only thing that is worth you know, having, it's the only worth thing to have, what was interesting is that when I felt this self-loathing for all the ways I think I had failed myself to support myself, to be good to myself, to be the kind of person that could do things for others, I realized I had a lack of self-love. And immediately I did a little releasing process called access consciousness to let go of what felt like the source of it. And I looked in the mirror and said, I love you. And sometimes I think Loving ourselves, or at least the image that we have of ourselves, is one of the hardest things to do. And, you know, um, but it's so important, not but, and it's so important, because if I am a part of God and I hold myself apart from love by judging, um, how can I even feel God's love? So I think learning to love myself it really is a mark of how I've progressed spiritually. Um, certainly have to let go of the ego to love myself. No question about that because, you know, the ego's there to destroy, kill, destroy, plunder, and does it through criticism, for the most part, judgment. So it really felt lousy to feel how I felt about myself, but it allowed me to actually have space to feel in my in my heart to also have love oh wow so it was pretty intense and um and i've committed to doing the things that are very important for me and it's been a challenge but when i do force myself to sit down and come from my heart and read words forgiveness i have to do that before i make my request it really just the act of doing something good for me even if I might not be totally immersed in, in self-love, opens up the way. It's kind of like fake it till you make it kind of thing. <laughs> Fool the ego and just say, God, I know I'm going to get there. But it's just really important when I read about seeking God's love and knowing God's love as being the most important thing, how important it is because I am a part of God that I allow myself and allow the God self in me, the larger self and that resides in my heart to love me. So that's my process this morning when reaching for God's love. I want to reach for the love that's in my heart that's there for me. So I'm complete. Thank you. Very clear. Thanks, Mindy. Thank you, Mindy. Yes, it sure was. Thank you, Mindy. Bless you, Mindy. Thank you.
Good morning, everyone. Lee here. That memory of my identity with the memory of God that I spoke of about the lesson speaks to what's um, speaks to me of what's at the heart of everything he mentions in this course about my welcoming vision to completely um, alter what I believe to be true about everything, including the body, including everything that I've imagined um, that justified condemnation toward anyone or anything. And when he begins to speak of what's on the other side of the ego's sight and what vision restores to me, increasingly, um, what becomes clear to me is that his reference to seeing the body, his reference to, I mean, these are a great pair of sentences in this, in this particular reading. For him to say it's impossible to see your brother as sinless and yet look upon him as a body. Or for him to say, who sees a brother's body has laid a judgment on him and sees him not. Or to say, the body is the means by which the ego tries to make the unholy relationship seem real. This appears to be that he's got a real grudge against what a body is. But you see, if he has no grudge against anything vision beholds, and if there's never any suggestion in the course that the body's going to go away when vision is restored to me, or that Jesus didn't behold bodies in his brothers, then there must be something else he in t- intends by the word body when he speaks of bodies this way. How could I possibly be told who sees a brother's body sees him not and imagine that I'm being told anything on a practical level if I believe I'm going to see bodies till the day I die what more might it mean for me not to see a brother as a body or to not see a brother's body what more might it mean the answer for me is that the word body just as he uses the word world, becomes a moniker, a term that describes something more complex that having established and explained, he doesn't want to have to repeat over and over. The simplified way to say what he intends by this moniker of world and body is to include the phrase as the ego perceives it or as the ego knows it. To see a brother's body as the ego beholds it. Um, um, Is to see a judgment laid on him and to see him not. You see how that alters the practicality of what I'm being told about bodies. The heart of what I'm trying to explain is that increasingly comes to me 
that the Course in Miracles is not opposed to the genuine nature of this life or this world, but is steadfastly opposed to what the ego has persuaded me is true about bodies and things and circumstances and the world itself. It's only opposed to what the ego has made these things out to be and what's on the other side of the ego's distancing and sense of separation, what's on the other side of the ego's um, distancing me from the truth of everything is the unity that vision would restore to my awareness. In that unity, your body still is there, right? But it melts away in the sense that I had ever held it as a separation device. It melts away in the sense that mine had ever been held as a separation device. The sense of division or separation itself melts away in the face of what he describes to me of vision and what he describes to me of wholeness. What he describes to me as the opposite of separation what he describes to me of what the heart awakens to and reaches out to join in union with what it had separated from in error. Increasingly to me, the world then is defined and this life is defined as a holy enterprise that the ego has spoiled that the ego's distortion made appear other than it is. It came to me this week as the topic of duality and non-duality arose once again um, in a course group that I had been attending, that the simplicity for me, I can state really squarely today in this way. For me, non-duality is the grace I feel I've been given and having come to um, an understanding of this life and world as a wholesale gift of my father to me, whose relationship with every circumstance, event, occurrence, or happening in my life or that of anyone else, whose occurrence sources at my father and my father alone. In grace, non-duality for me is to recognize there's one source, not two. There isn't good and evil as the origin of any circumstance in my life. And because there aren't two, I've overcome duality. And I sing the praises of non-duality, um, a singularity of source that overcomes the ego's imposition of a belief that there is God responsible for some things and evil responsible for others. And everything the ego tells me is good, God may have had a hand in, although students didn't do that. Can I put my phone near yours? Will it share the internet? 
Would it be cool? Morning, Jessica. Um, so where where all this where all this goes for me is that um, this course has me lean into the the real possibility that um, with the onset of vision, all these different aspects of what separation had made this world appear to be, even in so much as he can speak poetically of light and dark, darkness goes away, life is reborn in new perception. Um, Life comes to dead branches, birds alight, poetic uh, elements that describe a renewal a renewal of everything in light of what God wishes most that my mind and my heart awaken to as the nature of my life, the nature of my gift of this life in unity and in wholeness. Opposed to that in every way is what I had thought of as a world outside and unrelated to my mind or my thoughts. Opposed to that is what I had thought a body to be. What is... Remember he asked recently, have you ever wondered what the world will look like when you can finally see it? Isn't it wonderful to ask that as well, a body? Have you ever wondered what the body would look like when you can finally see it? I need only ask myself, Have I ever wondered what Jesus saw in the bodies of his brothers, his disciples, the throngs of those who loved and hated him? Have I ever wondered what he saw in bodies or what he saw of those for whom their bodies represented their presence? I needn't wonder whether he saw all of them innocent beyond what their bodies were doing. And that's the sense in which um, I'm told that uh, like Jesus, I have the opportunity to see people uh, beyond their bodies, to have my awareness of their presence transcend uh, the message their body gives me and understand their nature as my Father knows them. And to know that I'm delivered, my salvation, if salvation has a meaning for me, the meaning is that I can be delivered beyond everything ego had taught me to what God would have me behold in love of everything. Thanks, everyone. I'm complete. Just beautiful, Lee. Thank you so much. Oh, that was wonderful, Lee. Thank you. Thank you, Thank Lee. You. Thank you. Very interesting. Very interesting. Thank you, Lee. Thanks, Harrison. Thanks, everybody.
Hi, it's Anna again, just very briefly, and I'll shut up. <laughs> um, what you shared, Lee, and, uh, you know, in, in my experience of it, it's, um, it brings two things to mind is, uh, well, well, three. The first thing is I remember that question Jesus asked of us, um, what is it for? You know, and that points my mind towards the purpose I've given it, um, or the assi- in assigning a holy purpose to it, and allowing Holy Spirit to take over, um, and, and it could be in, re- you know, regard to my body, my brothers, my world, any situation, any feeling, any thought. Um, what is this for? And um, and I love um, how. Jesus always is reminding me to look at the relationship I have to it. You know, don't don't be worrying about or trying to understand is the world real, is the body real. What is its purpose and what is your relationship because with it? Because that is what's going to determine whether I'm going to have be a happy learner and in a happy dream or whether I'm going to be struggling and battling and figuring out and and doing all these activities that point my mind away from God and point it to the body and to the world um, instead of going back to the source of truth in my mind. Um, you know, so I I ponder that, uh, you know, I, 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 I ponder more my relationship with everything I see uh, than with, um, you know, trying to figure out the molecular structure and, <laughs> and all that. And, and in my heart, I know I know the truth of it. Um, but when I focus on what is it for and what is, what's its purpose and what's its relationship to me, then, then God just showers the truth in my mind and it refreshes it and it and it, again it brings that clarity and certainty that allows me to maintain peace so I'm complete thank you guys mm, thank you Lana that was, very that was wonderful thank you thank you Lana thank you guys thank you Lana good morning it's Harrison. Um, one thought that I've been pondering for a while um, seems to answer all the questions about bodies and duality versus non-duality and the world is, am I willing to see my brother's sinless? It all seems to come down to that for me. Because that's really close to home. It's not some 
I guess ambiguous discussion um, about whether or not the body exists or whether or not the world exists. It's all about my relationship with God that symbolizes by my relationship with my brother. If I am seeing my brother sinless, I am seeing a reflection of God. I'm seeing a reflection of who I am. And it clears away all the debris from my accepting that tiny mad idea. What separates me from my brother, whether I believe it to be separation as a body or separation in thought is the belief that I am something other or that my brother is something other than what God created. When I accept that I and my brother are as God created us, then the result is I and my brother are one with God and all of creation. And I don't have to figure out all the nuances. I'm complete. Oh, great. thank you, Harrison. Oh, so beautiful, Harrison. Thank you. Yeah. That created this. That's terrific. Thanks, Harrison. Perfect. Well, good morning, everyone. This is Lori. What a gorgeous call this has been this morning. I sure appreciate it. Mm. So, what is salvation? I, I noticed something this morning. I have a um, a 2012 version of the Course in Miracles with the pearls on the front. And in my 2012 version, in the first and second paragraph of the lesson, or of what is salvation, the capital T, thought of peace, is a small t. So I was really uh, grateful to get the email today where I noticed right away, oh, there's a difference here. Well, of course there is. 
and then I remembered that the thought of peace, he says, was given God's son the instant his mind had thought of war. Thank you for your your reflection on innocence this morning, Harrison, and everyone. Excuse me one second. It's like that phone rings just about this time of day, every day. Um, just like the capital A atonement is always capitalized in this instance, the thought of peace. Well, he's talking about the atonement. And speaking of duality and non-duality, um, I'm thinking in the, in the uh, manual for teachers, he says, having accepted the atonement for himself, he has al- already accepted it for his brother. That's how complete this capital T thought of God is in restoring the truth of unity to my mind. And so, accepting this capital T thought of God is accepting the correction of the split in my mind. I saw good and evil because my mind believed in the impossible that this world could change itself. I could change myself, you could change yourself, that anything could be changed from the perfection in which it was created from the source of all love. That would mean that love could change itself, that heaven could become hell. That's how complete accepting the atonement is. My mind is healed, and as a consequence of that healing, the perfection of creation is there for me to see. And here I am, going around in a body, I seem to be going around in a body, have a body. Um, but in this work, he, he later on says, the body will become for you what you use it for. Use it for sin and attack, and that's how you'll see it. Use it to bring the word of God, uh, and it will become holy. And what is holiness except the restoration of the truth? There's only two thought systems. One is one is uh, filled with error and complexity as a consequence of the split in the mind. The other is truth that remains as it was created in love, by love, for love. Those are the two choices. And of those two choices, only one is true. So... When I accept the capital T thought of peace, when I accept the atonement, which um, arrived at the same time as the tiny mad idea, the correction, um, I'm saying, Father, I accept your purpose. That seems um, that seems like a reach, but it's not so much a reach as uh, to say you're right and I've been wrong. That's not a reach. That's peace. And so as for 
means an end. If I accept the truth, the thought system of truth, the purpose of this world, the restoration of its integrity in the mind of God, the truth of unity, the truth of capital One, capital S self, uh, then I have some, some things I need to do. Or rather, I need some things I allow to be done for me. And that's what he's saying in this section. If you accept the purpose, then you'll accept the fact that the Holy Spirit wants to give you the means. It was a big leap for me. <clears throat> it was a huge leap. It was the leap of the... It was the whole leap to realize that forgiveness is something that the ego could never do. And if I see myself as an ego, I will be forever... Um, I will be forever uh, doomed. But if I accept the truth that um, holiness is the nature of this entire enterprise, then I will accept atonement for myself. And when I do, I will use the means that the Holy Spirit has given me. The atonement says God never condemned. Therefore, God does not forgive. I've accepted. I've accepted this truth in my mind. So forgiveness is something I let the Holy Spirit give me. That's why he says in forgiveness, forgiveness looks and waits and judges not. Remember? Forgiveness looks and waits and judges not. He who would not forgive must judge, for he must justify his failure to forgive, but he who would forgive himself must learn to welcome truth exactly as it is. So do nothing then. Do nothing then. And let forgiveness show you. That just means I'm willing to have the truth restored to my mind. I need not manufacture some idea of forgiveness or um, effort my way to this truth. I need only let Holy Spirit restore the truth to my mind. How does he do that? By my willingness to let my illusions go. An unforgiving thought, he says, protects projection. Holiness, holiness is obscure to me when I'm projecting error onto creation, onto you, onto anything. Error is, error is nothing more than uh, the belief in it, which I will project. Forgiveness is nothing more than the retraction of that projection by letting the Holy Spirit restore my mind to truth. This is God's plan for salvation. It's not mine. And to effort my way to it is to mistake myself for something I'm not. I accept the goal. The Holy Spirit gives me the means. The means are to let truth restore my mind to its integrity. And the beautiful thing about that is that we share one mind. I'm jettisoned. I'm jettisoned instantly back to truth. The thought system of love, the integrity of creation, the way it was given. 
not in the illusions that my mind made up. You know, I often wondered um, what comes first. You know, we're always wondering what comes first. Now, let's see, I can correct that with just a mute button. Um, but in this work, he says, first, what is forgiveness and then what is salvation? When I allow my illusions to be corrected by saying, what is the truth of this? Illusions are automatically uh, gone from my mind and my salvation, the salvation of the world, the integrity of holiness is restored to me. Will I allow, will I allow this? <laughs> will I allow Holy Spirit to give me the means? Will I be willing to let my illusions go? They're all the same question. And peace is a consequence. says, you don't have to look for love. Love is already there. Father, I will but to remember you. It's already there. Love is what my direct experience of life will be when I accept this creation as it was given me. It's just that simple. For the longest time when I thought forgiveness was something I had to do, I said to myself, wait now, riding Windhorse, <laughs> where Holy Spirit does everything and I simply allow I would say to myself, Windhorse loves this. Will I allow that? It's another way to look at the same question. Means and end must be in a line. If I accept the purpose of holiness, I am so willing. I am so willing to give up my illusions for truth. And truth will be restored to me. Anyway, um, it's a great plan. Yesterday, I wrote down a quote that I thought I would, um, that I thought I would try to bring to this conversation, and I think I think it's here. Carl Jung said, "It is the privilege of a lifetime to become who you truly are." When I accept. Holy Spirit's purpose, the purpose of creation, the joy of living, the love of God, I will discover that privilege of becoming who I truly am. I'm complete. Beautiful, Lori. Thank, Thank you, Lori. I went a little long and I had intended to meander my way to the truth of that, but um, here's, where, um, here's where I was led this morning for closing the call. There's a beautiful section in chapter 10. The section title is From Darkness to Light, where he gives us this paragraph. The, the way is not hard, but it is very different. Yours is the way of pain of which God knows nothing. That way is hard indeed and very lonely. 
fear and grief are your guests and they go with you and abide with you on the way but the dark journey is not the way of God's son walk in light and do not see the dark companions for they are not fit companions for the son of God who was created of light and in light the great light always surrounds you and shines out from you how can you see the dark companions in a light such as this if you see them it is only because you are denying the light but deny them instead for the light is here and the way is clear and in the next section inheritance of God's son never forget that the sonship is your salvation for the sonship is your capital soul as God's creation it is yours that's how we belong to each other and belonging to you it is his your soul does not need salvation but your mind needs to learn what salvation is you are not saved from anything but you are saved for glory glory is your inheritance given your soul by its creator that you might extend it yet if you hate part of your own soul all your understanding is lost because you're looking on what God created as yourself without love and since what he is he has created is part of him you are denying him his place in his own altar the peace of your soul lies in its limitlessness limit the peace you share in your own soul must be unknown to you every altar to God that's what we are is part of your soul because the life he created is one with him would you cut off a brother from the light that is yours you would not do so if you realize that you can only darken your own mind as you bring him back so will your mind return that is the law of God for the protection of the wholeness of his son the gift we give is our own you see so I'm so grateful for all of you and your gifts to me and this life this creation this truth amen amen thank you Laurie